she's on the thing too. down churches in three minutes
Welcome. Welcome to the youth-led service. Um, my name is Nathan. Uh, today our teens are participating in various ministries of the morning service, which, such as greeting, ushering, picking the music, and leading the worship time, making the PowerPoints, and giving announcements. A warm welcome to our visitors. If you don't, if you did not receive a visitor packet when you came in, please let us. Uh, please let a uh, usher know. Um, there is some information about our church in the packet, as well as a blue visitor card to fill out and place in the offering plate. You are invited to our coffee fellowship time in the lower left. Uh, no, in the lower level after our service is over. This is the last week that the kitchen items on the table in the lower level will be available for the taking, so please check them out. Um, adults, please stop by the information center to see the flyer about the evening at, I hope I'm saying this right, uh, Rancho Viejo. Nobody's objecting, so I think I'm good. Um, uh, on Friday evening, March 24th, uh, there is a sign-up sheet there, uh, there so we know how many tables to reserve. Um, the flower arrangement today is in our is in memory of Lori Nelson's mother, Dory. Uh, again, I don't know if I'm saying this right. Uh, Letgen. I'm not sure if that's how you say it, but hopefully I didn't get that wrong. Um, who passed away on March 4th? Uh, so I was told to do a dad joke to break the ice, but I don't know if there's much ice to break out there because you know the uh, wave of heat. But yeah. I better uh, speed up because he's speed walking towards me, so. Speaking of Dorothy, uh, it was a, a wonderful funeral. Anytime that a family member speaks for a funeral, it's special. And so uh, Phil and Lori's mom, um, uh, if Lori's mom is the one who passed away, and their son is the one uh, who preached the funeral. It was really beautiful. Um, I, Marie and I actually got a visit with Dorothy um, on Friday, the day before she passed away. So we were really glad that uh, we had made the trip and, and stopped in, but uh, uh, very much enjoyed getting to know some of the family yesterday. Um, just a little update on Al. So my sister's fiance, Al, has regained consciousness. Thank you for praying for him. I don't know how he's going to do. We'll see. His life is still kind of, you know, hanging in the balance, but uh, continue to pray for him. Uh, and then I want to encourage all who are getting a spiritual suntan this year, who are involved in one of the scriptural memorizations or reading through the Bible, in the case of what we're going to do today, the fellowship of the book is going to meet for lunch today, so after Sunday school, if you're part of the Fellowship of the Book, join us in the lower level, and uh, we were already instructed to bring a sack lunch. If you haven't quite completed the book, don't worry about it. Just go ahead and come, and, and uh, we'll enjoy our, our time of discussing the topics. Our person of the week today is Ken Dozon. So if you see Ken, you, you can uh, tell that he's wearing sunglasses He's trying to be as cool as me. It's not probably not going to work, but um, no, actually, he had cataract surgery on both of his eyes. Uh, the most recent one was something like a week and a half ago, and he's struggling with just brightness, okay? It's making his eyes blurry. Also, pray for uh, his recovery there, and then also the salvation of his children 
who need Christ. Our overseas servants of the week are Cam and Mary Hurst in Bolivia. Uh, Dengue fever is really bad this year, and so they've actually had to delay the opening of the semester at the school where they're teaching by about a month. So they started in February 20th, but uh, pray for them. They've got a heavy load of teaching and ministry. Uh, They're thankful that the Lord has brought them to the school. They're thankful that the Lord has also brought back two graduates to uh, be involved full-time with teaching and helping out at the, um, at the college. So pray for those two, who, um, two men who have just returned to the school. I believe it was this semester, uh, and I think they're going to be full-time from now on. So pray for uh, the uh, ministry of the school there. And finally, our persecuted saint of the week is uh, a wife who has been abused and threatened for her faith. Her name is Goma Kunwar. So Goma was very sick, but medical doctors were baffled and could not heal her. Christians in her village prayed for her, and God healed her. Her husband tried to dissuade her from going to church, but she wanted to attend out of gratitude for her healing. In spring of 2022, she accepted Christ and was baptized. Goma's husband began to treat her cruelly, physically and verbally abusing her, destroying the Bible she was given in the church. And one day, he beat her so badly with a stick and then poured gasoline over her body, intending to burn her. She managed to escape before he lit the fire. Later, when Goma uh, refused to wear a Hindu symbol for a festival, her husband tried to attack her with a sickle. Again, she ran to safety. Now he is barring her uh, from going to the church, keeping her from meeting Christians, and monitoring all of her communications. Now, this is not uncommon in the Hindu and Muslim worlds. Um, it's, it's hard for us to hear, to read these things. But let's um, be in prayer all week long for Goma Kunwar, for her protection, but also for her husband's salvation. Our Lord, this morning uh, we are grateful for the next generation in our church who will be serving us today from uh, the announcements to the greeters to the ushers to the uh, songs. Lord, we we are blessed to have such a wonderful group of young people. Uh, We pray for uh, this next generation that they will be faithful to you, not stray from uh, the path, the way. We pray that they will grow in Christ and be the future leaders either at this church here or at other churches, uh, wherever you might uh, take them. But Lord, we pray for them and your blessing. We want to remember Goma Kunwar uh, to be married to a man who is unloving is one thing, to be married to a man who at times tries to kill you is another. Uh, The pain, the emotional um, problems, the fear that she must face Uh, The realities of her suffering are very tangible, so real uh, to her. So we pray for her, Lord, that uh, you will protect her life. But then we pray, arguably even more importantly, for her husband, for his salvation. Lord, uh, change his heart so that their family would would be a tremendous 
testimony to all in the community, those who have been uh, so uh, antagonistic to the gospel uh, would be uh, shocked to see the husband also convert. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that you will uh, bring him to yourself. We also ask for the Hursts in Bolivia. We're thankful that uh, they have not gotten dengue fever, but four others on the campus have, one almost going to the ICU. And so, Lord, we, um, we pray that their efforts to um, exterminate the mosquitoes in their uh, compound as well as uh, in the surrounding area will go well. We pray uh, for Cam and Mary especially as uh, they have so much to do that they will uh, be free from the dengue. And uh, Lord, we pray too for the two uh, new teachers, their wives, their families, which will provide financial support for them and that they will uh, just jump right in and take a heavy load uh, and be able to um, uh, train the next generation of servant leaders for great commission living down there in uh, Bolivia, uh, in the mountains among the tribal peoples. Lord, we're thankful for Cam and Mary. They've served so many years uh, here um, or, or there through uh, at least partially our church and our support, and we pray that they will uh, be used by you in great ways to hand the baton off uh, to the next generation. We pray for Ken with uh, uh, problems with both of his eyes. Uh, it's been surgically repaired, but now still struggling with some blurriness as well as reactions to the brightness. And so, uh, Father, bring his uh, healing uh, to the point where it's complete and that he can get back to uh, his normal routines of life. We think of his children uh, and grandchildren, those who are not believers. Lord, there's a, a, an ongoing burden in Ken's heart for them, and so we pray for their salvation. Lord, sometimes it seems almost impossible that uh, someone we know would be saved when we know what they're like and how they are and what they think and the way they live, but uh, we know that uh, there are so many people, I'm one, who it looked impossible that I would be saved and so many others who have come to Christ uh, that seemed to be too far gone to reach. Lord, we pray for uh, Ken's family who are, at least in one or two cases, are like that. Lord, uh, may we not uh, neglect prayer for them and may uh, you uh, save their souls, change them forever and answer this prayer. We're thankful also for the Nellisons, the funeral for <clears throat> Dorothy yesterday, how well it went. Uh, we ask that um, you'll encourage Lori. She seemed so uh, strong yesterday, but as, uh, when we lose anyone who's a relative or a close friend, but especially a mother and a father, it's hard. And so uh, give strength to Lori in the days ahead as uh, all the busyness subsides and she sits at home and, and begins to contemplate the loss of her mom. We are thankful for Al regaining consciousness. Lord, um, use this uh, as an opportunity, whether it's me or someone else, to share the gospel with Al yet again. And then uh, we pray for all of the things that uh, we're, we are going to enjoy here this morning from the, uh, the youth service 
the sermon, the singing, the Sunday school hour, and uh, for those who will be staying for the fellowship of the book, even that discussion, may it all uh, bring honor and praise, glory to your name. We are here serving you, and uh, this is your church, and we're thankful to be a part. It brings joy to us. It's spiritual strength and encouragement, and we pray that uh, today would be no different and that you would grow us, even if it's just a bit, uh, through what we hear and participate in the fellowship that we enjoy today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand and sing with us.
Today's scripture reading can be found in Psalms chapter 14. Please stand. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who, are, who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who, beat, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Sion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad.
All right, let me clean off everything up here. All kinds of folders. Hey, hope you're doing uh, well today. Um, we are going to be in starting in Matthew chapter 25, if you want to open there. Matthew chapter 25. Today's sermon is dedicated to and is a challenge for the elders and deacons of our church. So uh, myself and Brad and uh, John Mason and Dan Wolf, um, they are, Dan and John are the elder advisors. And then our deacons, Dan also serves as deacon, uh, plus Jim Pope and Russ. So this, this sermon is primarily for us, to challenge us about uh, service for this year, but it's for more than just them. It's for all of us. I want uh, all of us to understand how important these roles are. I want for all of our church to be praying for and supporting and encouraging uh, the uh, faithful men who are serving here. And I'm not saying that these are the only people who are serving in this church. That is far from true. There are all kinds of people who do many, many things. But these roles are uh, specifically laid out in Scripture uh, as crucial to the life of the church. So, for the elders and deacons of Emmanuel Bible Church, I want to encourage us to be faithful in the work that God has given us until Christ returns. So let me introduce the message uh, with an illustration. So this is a uh, pastor friend that I've met kind of more recently. Uh, he's not from our fellowship of churches. He's from a different uh, fellowship of churches, but conservative, evangelical, really good guy. And his example of faithfulness is so uh, encouraging to me that I thought I would share it with you. So this pastor has been um, suffering for a while. First, uh, he, um, you know, pre-COVID, their church had about 550 members. So this is a large city. And um, after COVID, when they reopened, they were closed for, like, they did just what we did, and they were... Uh, they're not from the state of Wisconsin, but they were closed for, I think, three months. They reopened as soon as they could. Um, and he said there were only 300 people after the reopening. Now, COVID didn't affect us. I mean, we literally had as many people uh, afterward as before, but that's not the case with a lot of churches. That by itself is really discouraging for a pastor when your congregation uh, is almost halved. But in addition to that, then over the next uh, two years since that time, the congregation has just been slowly receding. And now they have about 200 people. And yet this pastor is very faithful. Now, I'm just beginning. That's just, that, that's like the, the minor stuff, okay? Uh, this pastor's wife has had health issues. His children have had very serious health issues, not just one of them. Um, in addition to this, there have been 
what I would consider to be highly unusual, maybe not so much in our world today, but just unusual attacks by Satan on him. Let me give you a couple of examples that he shared with me. One, um, there, are, there are members in, who are still in the church who are hostile to him. They don't want him there. And so he more recently was talking with a man in the church. He's a, a, a big gun guy in the church. And this man confessed to this pastor that he's been wanting to kill him for six months. Now, the pastor thought he was joking, right? But he wasn't joking. He was serious. And he was confessing that and trying to make that right with the pastor. Someone in their church has created an email account in the pastor's name. It's not his email account, but from his, his, not really his, email account, they are sending smut to the female employees of the church. Um, There are at least a couple of families who have accused this pastor of um, taking teen girls from, they know the hot button issues to hit, right? Uh, Taking teen girls uh, from the church to abortion clinics when they need an abortion. He's not doing that. But someone in the church is accused him of that. Uh, another uh, thing that he shared is um, that uh, there is at least a couple of people who have accused him, different people, who have accused him of performing gay marriages secretly. And he's like, come on, there's no way. But, but this is what's happening. And we don't, you know, I mean, we have unity in our church. Thank God for that. But that's not what it's like always. The reason that I share some of these uh, things that he shared with me is to say this. Here's a man who has been hit from every possible angle that I can think of. Emotional, physical, spiritual, attacks from without, attacks from within, uh, the church just been through all kinds of things, and yet, when I talk with him more recently, he is still a faithful pastor. And I know you're asking questions like, why haven't they dealt with some of the things going on? You know, these things are in process, so you know th- there are, there are some things that are in process. But incredible faithfulness. Turn to Matthew if you haven't already chapter 25. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to talk about faithfulness. Now, this chapter is not just for elders and deacons. It's for all, but it's a great passage to use uh, for the concept of ongoing faithfulness. Now, in case you don't know, just a real quick little uh, uh, tidbit, three kinds of sermons. What are they? There's the expositional sermon. That's what I typically preach in our church. There's the topical sermon where every single main point is from a different passage of scripture. And then there's the textual sermon. And I don't think I've ever preached a textual sermon in our church, but I'm going to do that today. So what's a textual sermon? It gets its main point from each of the main points from the passage, but then uses different passages to develop uh, each main point. So this is a textual message on 
faithfulness. So why should we be faithful? There are three reasons, and the first of those is because of the present stewardship. Okay, All of the elders and deacons in our church have a stewardship. Chapter 25 in the book of Matthew, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey. This is the parable of the talents. Jesus spoke this the last week um, before his crucifixion. He says in this uh, story, in this parable, there's this man. He's going to go on a journey, and he therefore calls his servants, and he entrusts to them his property. To one, he gave five talents. A talent, there are different ratios, different amounts that people think, but it's something like about, in today's currency, about $750,000. So, you know, five talents is multi-million dollar that is being given to this first man uh, to then trade and do business with until the wealthy man who owns all this returns. So to one he gives five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. So um, he figures, you know, this guy that he's going to give five talents to has the most ability. I think he'll do the best, but I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. So I'll give two talents to another guy who's also, you know, gifted, and then one to a third servant. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So he doubled the investment. We're not told how long the man was gone, but in case you are wondering, you know, what's the point of the parable, Jesus is the wealthy man, okay? And Jesus is just about ready to die. He's going to die this week, be crucified and resurrected, and then later he's going to ascend to heaven And he's going to be gone on a long journey. Those of us who are his followers have been given a stewardship. Okay, And the elders and deacons of our church have an especially important role to steward the things of God here among our congregation. So this wealthy man goes away, probably on some kind of a trade venture, and then he, it says that when, uh, while he's away, the man with five talents made them five talents more. He returned, in other words, 100% on the investment. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. Again, 100% return on investment. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Jesus is, duh, gone for a long time. He has been gone for almost 2,000 years, uh, and we don't know when he's going to return. It could be today. It could be 200 years from now. But when he returns, okay, we will have an accountability, and there'll be eternal reward that is given, but first, today, right now, while he's gone, there is a present stewardship. So, 
I want to build this out by talking about um, some different, talking from some different texts of Scripture. Would you turn to Acts chapter 6? So, first, let's talk to the elders. They have a stewardship. Jesus is not here. He will return someday. He is the chief shepherd. The elders are the under shepherds. They are helping with Christ's flock. While Jesus is gone, what does he expect the elders to do? In other words, what should Brad and I and our elder advisors, John and Dan, be about? What are our roles? In Acts chapter 6, I'm going to read the first six verses, we'll see what uh, we are to be doing. Now, in these days, chapter 6, verse 1 of Acts, when the disciples were increasing in number, thousands of people have become uh, born again. Jerusalem is aflame with the gospel. Okay, There are massive amounts of people rapidly coming to Christ. And so they're just trying to, in these early days, get everything figured out. You know, I mean, there's a lot of administrative stuff and so on that has to happen in a church, all behind the scenes that people don't realize. And so here's something administratively that's beginning to happen that's creating a problem. So what is that issue that's creating the problem? Well, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So what's the problem? Every church has issues. Every church has problems. What's the problem here? Gentile influence. Now, Hellenists, Hellenist means Greek. Okay, so people influenced by you know, the Greco-Roman way of doing things. Probably some of these people are full-blooded Gentile. Probably some of them are uh, partially Hebrew and also uh, Gentile. But what was happening is that the people who were de facto in charge, there were no deacons yet, but the people who were just kind of helping in meeting the needs of the widows of the the newly born-again widows of the church of Jerusalem were helping the full-blooded Jewish widows and neglecting uh, the Hellenistic ones. That's never good. Obviously, you can see how ugly that would get. You can see the kinds of problems this would create. So what happened? Verse 2, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So what's the full number of the disciples? We're, we're, there were at least 120 in the upper room when uh, in Acts 2 the spirit descended and began to indwell believers permanently. So probably it's that inner core, people who traveled with Jesus a lot, who are being described here in the full number of the disciples. Those who knew Jesus directly, those who interacted with him, traveled with him some, the 12 always, but, uh, or at least most of the time, but um, some of the others traveled with him a lot. We can see that in the Gospels. All right, so that's, that's the group that the, that the 12 are talking with. 
And they say this, look, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. We have things that are priority that we've got to do, the 12 say. We, can, we don't have time to deal with this controversy between um, the distribution of daily sustenance for you know, the Hellenistic and the Jewish widows. Therefore, verse 3, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So as we were reading through this, and we're going to come back to the passage when we're um, referring to and, and uh, uh, challenging the deacons of our church, but we can see what it says about the elders. In verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So first, what is the... What, what must an elder be faithful to do? When he is serving the church, one of the things he does is to preach and teach. Faithfulness in the ministry of the word is not an easy thing. So um, when I prepare a sermon... I probably, you know, I mean, I've, I've started a series on whatever book I'm going to preach months before the first sermon happens. I'm reading and reading. We're talking hundreds of hours go into that process. Then when the first sermon begins, you know, on that, I'm probably spending something like 15 hours a week on that sermon, sometimes more like 20. It depends. So let me ask you this. Would you have the discipline to be able to sit in a chair for about 30, maybe 40 hours a week? Because, I mean, you're not just preaching one sermon, plus you're preparing for the new series, plus, you know, all these things. Would you be able to sit and study for that amount of time. Every time that a, a preacher, an elder is speaking, whether it's a, a children's Sunday school class, the adult Bible fellowship, or here at the pulpit, you can almost guarantee a lot of time goes into the preparation for that sermon. So for the elders of our church, let, let me challenge us to be faithful to Christ and to do the hard work that it takes to preach and teach the word well. And for the congregation, would you pray for us to be faithful in that responsibility? The second thing that Acts chapter 6 verse 4 mentions, remember, the 12 apostles don't want to spend all their time doing the menial tasks in the church so that they can dedicate themselves first to the ministry of the word, but then second to prayer. 
Prayer is perhaps, I've read this in different books, I, I agree, it's probably the most neglected part of um, the average Christian's walk with the Lord. Study of the scriptures, reading the Bible, coming to church, fellowshipping with the saints, serving in whatever capacities, with whatever gifts God has given. But prayer is one of the most neglected and one of the most important of the spiritual duties of the Christian. But beyond just uh, all of us specifically uh, stated here by the 12 apostles is um, that their part of their main responsibility is not just the ministry of the word, but is to pray for the Lord's guidance, blessing, everything that goes on in a ministry. So let me challenge us as elders to pray, be faithful in prayer. Third, Go to 2 Timothy, chapter 2. Second Timothy, chapter 2. When I first got saved, and uh, even in college, you didn't hear very much about discipleship. We heard a lot about preaching and so on, and and uh, study Greek, Hebrew, all these kinds of things. But uh, we didn't hear much about discipleship. The last 20 years or so has seen a great revival and emphasis on discipleship. I think, you know, the the earlier generation lacked, not all, but many lacked uh, the the internal burden to mentor the next generation. But that has been largely corrected today. As elders, we ought to be doing what 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul talking to Timothy, challenges us to do. What is that? And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Likewise, I want to read Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. It doesn't say, it could have said, go and make converts from every tribe and tongue and, and nation. But, but it's, it's deeper than just convert. Go into the world as missionaries and preach the gospel to all, not just so they'll be converted, but take them beyond conversion uh, to uh, a deeper understanding of truth and a closer relationship with the Lord. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship um, is mostly a joy. Sometimes it's a little bit of a burden, but it's mostly a joy. Discipleship. Who are you mentoring? And let me broaden it from just the elders in terms of the application Men and women in our church, who are you discipling? It's not just, uh, you know, the the elders who are called upon, though in this 2 Timothy 2.2, it is the elders who are described. But, But in Matthew 28, it's much broader. Who are you discipling? Do you have 
a Timothy. Have you selected someone? Now, parents, we're discipling our children. Are you involved in their lives, intricately um, uh, keeping the pulse uh, on the the spiritual well-being of your children? Yes, I think uh, we do well uh, with that. But beyond that, have you selected someone else? Is there a young person? And if you're 70, young is different definition from when you're 30. But is there someone who's a new believer or maybe a, a, a youth in our church who could be benefited by ongoing discipleship? Ladies, have you uh, selected someone? And maybe that, that lady isn't even from our church. It might be someone else uh, that you know, maybe from work or something like that, or, or a family member outside of your own immediate family. But have you found a, a lady, a younger lady, to disciple? And men... Are we selecting and investing in the next generation? This is one of the things that while Jesus is gone, we should presently be burdened for. It is a present stewardship. Um, I'm not, this isn't original with me. It it, uh, is what I've heard from many different speakers, books, and you see it in the Gospels. Jesus had three levels of discipleship. Level A, level B, level C. Level A, okay, who were the inner circle? You have three, James, John, Peter. Okay, you often in the gospel see Jesus, not often, but sometimes see Jesus separating those three and spending special, unique time with them. You have the three in the a level. You have the 12, obviously spent lots of time with the 12 disciples. But beyond that, regularly in the Gospels, you'll see about a, a 100 to 200 people who are traveling with Jesus as he's doing ministry. That's not how I typically, or at least not how I used to think about Christ. I thought, oh yeah, Jesus has a 12 with him and where he goes, they go. That's by and large true. But it's much more than that. There's a much larger entourage that travels with Jesus often, not always, but often from place to place. He has three of the inner core that he spent the most time with, 12 that he spent tons of time with. And then he has about a couple hundred who also receive special attention from Jesus. The elders can't disciple everybody in this church. There's no way. It's impossible. The amount of time can't be done. Okay? I mean, um, we need everyone in the church to find a Timothy. And could I also say this? You might need a Paul in your life. Have, have a Timothy, someone that you're mentoring, but then have a Paul as well, someone who is mentoring you. Talk to someone if you need help and uh, seek them out. If you're a, a lady, then, then speak with a lady who you perceive as mature in our church and ask her, would you be willing to meet with me once a month, go out for lunch or whatever? Um, uh, same if you're a, a man, seek someone out in our church for help. And then fourth of the four duties of eldership is leadership. Leadership. Shepherding the flock. Jesus is gone. He's coming back someday. Elders have a present stewardship. We are the under-shepherds for Christ, helping the, the flock now. 
in John chapter 21, verses 15 and then 16 and then 17, Jesus challenges Peter by saying, do you love me? You all know the passage. Do you love me? Okay. Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Second time, yes, of course I love you. Third time, Lord, what's going on? What's wrong here? Why do you keep asking me the same question? Well, if you look carefully, the responses of Jesus to Peter um, focus on three different aspects of shepherding ministry. Do you love me more than these, these things, the the fish and, and fishing? Jesus is trying to change Peter's perspective of people. Peter sees people a lot like he sees fish. And Jesus is saying, you need to, in your mind, change from viewing people as product to viewing them as sheep. They aren't like fish. They are like sheep. Don't treat them like fish. How does a fisherman treat fish on the Sea of Galilee? You know, they throw the net down, and you know, when they bring the net up, what's inside of the net? Well, there might be a catfish. Can't eat catfish in Israel. No scales. It's unclean. That thing's gone. Oh, this one's puny. This one isn't that good. That one's gone. Ah, people don't like the taste of this guy. I don't know. We've got enough of those gone. You don't treat people, but you don't understand this person's so difficult. No, you don't treat, oh, this fish, ah, they're unclean. That's not how we treat people. We treat them, elders especially, listen to this. We treat them not like fish, but instead like sheep. All right? Um, Why does Jesus say to Peter, do you love me? Because if you love me, you are going to love, therefore, those who follow me. So, first he says, feed the lamb. Second, the second challenge, Peter, do you love me? He concludes with lead the flock. And then in 21 verse 17, feed the flock. So you feed the lambs, you lead the flock, and you feed the flock. This happens every day in Israel. I've been to Israel three times, um, been in the uh, wilderness area three times. Wilderness area is all craggy, dry, uh, desert, rocky, cliffs. It's a terrible place. There are only like four sources of water in a 60-mile-long stretch. And yet, that's where the shepherding takes place. That's where the shepherds lead the sheep for about six months of the year. You can't have sheep where the farmers are growing crops. So the sheep are relegated. They're brought from areas where, you know, after the harvest, the sheep can eat kind of the stubble and so forth and the grass. They're brought from there during the time of plenty, during that six months, to the desert region, to the wilderness for the other six months. There's not a lot of grass there. After it rains, there's a little bit but there's not much. The sheep don't know how to get from point A to point B. The shepherds are with their flocks, sometimes a thousand strong, um, up in the tops of the mountains. There are 
caves, massive caves in the limestone there, uh, in which for thousands of years shepherds have kept their sheep. And then uh, in the morning when the sun is rising, what does the shepherd do? First thing on the daily task that the shepherd does is he gets up before everything and everyone else for all the sheep, and he walks around and he finds the little lambs. Elders in our church, please pay attention to this. Feed the lambs, Jesus says. What does that mean? It means as a shepherd, you go and you, you seek them out and you, okay, with the sheep, you pick up the little lamb and what does it do? The lamb has been sleeping next to its mother and, and you wake it up and you, you pick that little lamb up. You spend special time and you care for this little lamb. Think of this as the new believer in Christ. Okay, because that's the parallel. You pick the little lamb up and then you begin to feed it. Feed the lambs. This little lamb is not going to be able to go on the journey with you. Neither is its mother because the journey is way too difficult for these brand new little lambs. So you take out of your cloak um, the food that you have um, selected the day before when you were out. You're picking some of the succulent grass, some of the flowers that the sheep like the most, and you feed that baby lamb. You help that lamb to get to the point where it can then walk on the journey with the whole flock during the day. Elders of our church, in fact, everyone in our church, when there is a a new believer, or with our children as they're growing, spend special time. Don't, don't let them um, go neglected. The, the younger believers, uh, whether by age or by uh, uh, time that they've been Christian, need special attention. Second, Jesus tells them to lead the flock as you, um, uh, after you fed the lambs, what do you do in a daily routine? You wake all the flock up, and you get all the uh, under-shepherds with you, and then you take them all out and begin to make your journey down a really steep, craggy, and dangerous uh, area. I mean, dangerous in terms of lion, bear, also dangerous in terms of the incredible uh, um, canyons that are there. Uh, Sheep can trip and fall and die. So um, the shepherd is always leading, guiding, watching out. And then finally, feeding the flock here in John 21, Jesus says to feed them. You, the sheep are not going to find the food on their own. Why? Because again, this is desert. There's a little bit after the rain, a little bit of grass, and the shepherd will take them to one spot, maybe two or three miles away from the cave opening uh, for one day and then have to go way back up the steep slopes. He might have to, later in the season, go four miles, five miles. They might have to go as far as a dozen miles straight down rugged crevices um, in order to get food. But the shepherd's job is to feed the flock. They get their bellies full, and then they rest. And then, especially if they have to go a long journey, back up the steep mountain before it gets dark, Valley of the Shadow of Darkness, Psalm 23, this is what it's talking about. Um, As the sun's setting, if you haven't, if you had to go a long way with your sheep and now you've got to go way back up, just understand it's going to be rough and you want to get there before the sun goes down because if you don't, you're going to lose sheep. They are going to tumble into the the, uh, crevices and die. 
Um, believe me, if you've not been to Israel, uh, look, at, look up the wilderness, see what the pictures look like. It's like that. So very important jobs of the shepherds to feed the lambs. In other words, take care of the new believers, young believers, lead the flock, and then feed the sheep. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 5. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. We read the following, and I'm only going to pull out a couple points out of this. There's a lot here we could talk about. So I exhort, exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Elders are to, one, exercise oversight, but two, not be domineering over those in your charge, right? So you can see how that's a balance that, that must be struck. It's important not to miss this balance. As elders, we are to exercise oversight over the church. Uh, one commentator says, watch over the sheep to assess their condition so as to lead, guard, and feed them. And then not domineering over those in your charge. Commentator says, this is referring to any kind of autocratic, oppressive, and intimidating leadership. You, we've all seen that, right? I mean, hopefully not from elders, but I mean, we've seen it in the world. Autocrats, dictators, demagoguery. Okay? These are traits that characterize the leadership and methodology of unregenerate people. In, and it would be a perversion of the overseer's office. So um, I hope that none of us as elders is ever domineering, okay, autocratic, oppressive. It's going to be my way or the highway kind of thing. Never. Shouldn't be. It's not right. So these are the four duties of the elders and now the duty and qualification of the deacons. Going back to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is more about the deacons, actually, than it is about the elders. We already know the context. You've got the uh, distribution problem between the widows who are from uh, Gentile background and the widows who are Jews. The Jewish widows are being favored. The Gentile widows are being neglected. So the 12 disciples, 12 apostles, choose or encourage the group uh, who have been following Christ for some time to choose from among themselves men to be deacons. The word deacon simply means servant. It's not, that's exactly what it means. That's how you translate it. A deacon is a servant. Okay, That's what they do. They lift the load of the basic tasks off of the elders. Chapter 6, verse 2. 
And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, with whom we uh, I'm sorry, whom we will appoint to this duty. Uh, so this church has thousands of people, something like 5,000 plus. And they've got the, the 12 apostles who are ministering the word, praying for the church. They need more help with the basic tasks. And so they encourage the selection uh, of men to help, and in fact, they choose seven. So, you know, for a church of thou- this many thousands, seven doesn't sound like a lot, uh, but yet that's what uh, they ended up choosing. Now, you can see when, when uh, we're reading this passage that the duty of the deacon is to take care of the basic tasks so that the elders are not burdened with those. But you see something else. You also see that these men were chosen because they were spirit-filled. They have a duty and they have a qualification. Now, obviously, in Timothy and in Titus, you can see a much more development of the qualifications both of elders and of deacons. But here, uh, we're, we're just focusing on what the text here says, and it, it mentions one thing, spirit-filled. Our deacons, so three of them in our church, um, our deacons, I'm challenging you from the word of God, be spirit-filled men. Walk with the Lord. It is more important for you to walk with the Lord than uh, to um, do anything else. There is this present stewardship that we have been given. We are to be faithful until Christ returns. I'm turning back to Matthew chapter 25. There is the present stewardship. There's also the coming accountability. Just one verse. Matthew 25 verse 19. So the one who had been given five talents returned five more. The one who had been given two talents returned 100%. The one who had been given one talent went and dug in the earth and hid his Lord's money. All right? After that, then we read verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So this wealthy man has been gone probably years. Okay? I mean, if you are going any kind of significant distance to trade goods from your country that a far country can't access and then to bring back goods from that far country that your country doesn't have normal access to, that, in in our world, it might only take months uh, for a ship to get from point A to point B loaded and so forth, or even possibly weeks if it's not that far. But in this day, you're talking about most likely years. I mean, Marco Polo, we're talking many years to go the entire Silk Route. Um, he's been gone for quite some time is the point I'm making. After, though, he returned, he settled accounts with them. Elders and deacons of our church and all in our church, 
Understand, Jesus is this wealthy man who's been gone on a long journey, 2,000 years. He is going to come back at some point, and he is going to settle accounts. We have an accountability. Jesus is going to hold us accountable for the things that we have done on this earth. So the challenge is, be faithful until Christ returns. And today, challenging the elders, Brad, John, Dan, Jim, and Ross, and myself, are we, are we eagerly anticipating the Lord's return, like the five-talent man and the two-talent man? Or will it be kind of like one of those situations where the Lord comes back and we're just like, oh, man, I wish you to give me prior warning. I mean, I've been kind of serving, but not so much. That's, that's what's happening in the parable, and that's what can happen in our world. Quick illustration. I think I might have shared this years ago. I'm not sure. Uh, but true story from my childhood. Um, my, I lived, grew up in Davenport, Iowa. We had a house on about three blocks from a large supermarket. And I was about 10 years old. And my mom, for the first time ever, decided to leave me by myself and go shopping for the groceries. Dangerous. She took my younger sisters with her, but she left me alone. She felt I was mature enough uh, to handle it. So all the kids sitting out here, what would you do if you, you got left at home uh, and uh, um, you were by yourself for a couple hours? What do you think I did? Huh? You think I, think I messed things up or did something dumb? Actually crazy. This is going to sound crazy to you, but you know, my mom was gone, and I thought, I want to please my mom. True story. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. I want, I want my mom to be happy when she gets home, so I am going to clean as much as I possibly can before she gets back. Crazy. I started down in the basement. There were three levels, basement, main level, and then the bedrooms up top. So I started down in the basement because it was always, that's the toy area. It was always so messy. I, I straightened up everything, literally. You could see the carpet <laughs> down in the basement level. Then my mom still wasn't back, so I went up. The kitchen and living room were generally pretty clean, but there were some dishes. So I washed them off, put them in the dishwasher. Wiped the counter, whatever, a few things, swept the floor. It didn't take very long to do that. Um, and then I thought, man, Mom's still not back. So I went up to my bedroom, and I kept a usually a pretty tight ship in my bedroom. So it was pretty clean, but uh, there was always, you know, something to do. So dusted, whatever, a few things. And I'm telling you, I could not wait until Mom got back. I was bursting as a 10-year-old, you know. Um, so I heard what I thought was a car coming in the driveway, and it was. And I ran down the stairs and looked out the window. Sure enough, it was her. And I waited at the door. You say, why didn't you go out and help her with the bags? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just waited at the door for her to come in. And man, when she opened the door, it was like, you know, bursting with energy. She probably was like, uh-oh, maybe I, what, what, what happened? But I was so hyper. Like, Mom, Mom, you got to see, Mom. what, did the pipe break or what? And, you know, no, no, Mom, you know, I cleaned the house. You what? You know, so I, I, like, just dragged her downstairs to show her that the basement was clean and the, and the house was clean. And 
she was pleased. You know, she smiled. But to me, the, the biggest part of it was how, uh, what happened the next day. The next day, she just briefly went out to the store, bought a bag, you know, something like this big, of large gumballs and gave them to me um, as a thank you for doing this for her. That meant a ton to me. I, I don't think the gumballs meant as much to me as my mom being happy, but they certainly helped. <laughs> All right. Um, this is an illustration of what it will be like when Jesus returns. The rapture happens and we stand before the Lord at the Bema Seat Judgment. He is going to hold us accountable for the things we've done on this earth. So elders and deacons, are we faithfully serving the Lord? Uh, because there is, whether we recognize it or not on a daily basis, there is, and we know it, a coming accountability. Finally, the eternal reward. Chapter 25, verses 20 through 23. Matthew 25, verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Can you hear Jesus talking to you? Elders, deacons, everyone in the church, can you, can you hear these words? They, they will be spoken to us someday. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had received the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. The wording of verse 21 and 23 is almost identical. You can compare them as I read verse 23. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Doesn't matter how much you have in terms of talents, time, money. It's what you do with what you have that's important. Should I say that again? Doesn't matter how much you have. Times, time, talents. It's what you do with what you have that's important. Serve the Lord Jesus faithfully because one day he is going to give us an eternal reward. I've been in conclusion here listening to a book called Map Heads. Strange title. I don't watch TV. I don't even have TV reception. But I have seen in the past the show Jeopardy. So some of you may have seen this game show. All right, so Alex Trebek was the uh, game show host for years and years. And uh, I don't know if they've chosen somebody now or not. But do you know the, the grand champion of all time for, um, for Jeopardy? You know what his name is? His name is Ken Jennings. So Ken Jennings is the author of the book, 
map heads. And um, as I was listening to this book uh, one night a couple weeks ago, uh, Ken Jennings was talking about a, uh, something that he does called geocaching. Anybody, have you, I don't know how many have even heard of that until talking with somebody uh, like about a year ago. I'd never even heard of geocaching. And it's something that nerds do, at least according to uh, Ken Jennings. You're, only nerds do this. So um, anyway, it's, there, there are secret things that are placed all over America. Literally, they're everywhere. Um, and people will geocache. That is, they'll use their cell phones to um, track the clues to where these geocaches are. And then when they find them, they mark their name electronically that they have actually located it. That's geocaching. There's probably a little more to it, but essentially that's what it is. So some people use geocaching as... A pastime, it's, it's fun. But man, you, you read map heads and you realize there are some people who are so enamored with the idea of having their name on as many of the uh, geocaches across the country as they can. Some are, are like uh, ramped up to be the very first person to find a particular geocache because that's like even more... Uh, I guess it elevates your status uh, among the geocaching world. People, according to this book, will spend all their time, their whole lives, how they even make enough money to survive is a question, doing geocaching. So, so, so shocked me that people would spend that much time uh, doing something that has... I don't know. I mean, I think getting out and seeing things is good, and if you're geocaching and you know, um, some national park or something. There's, that's great. That's good stuff. But to spend your whole life doing it seems empty, hollow. In fact, I would go on record to say a, a waste of time. What are we doing with our lives? Are we geocaching spiritually? Are we running around back and forth, spending all our time doing things that just don't matter. Elders and deacons of our church, in fact, an entire congregation, make your life count, okay? It matters. What we do is significant for Christ. May we be a faithful steward, a five-talent or a two-talent servant, depending on what kind of gifts and calling God's given us. May we be faithful until Christ returns. Let's pray. Father, um, our church is your church. We are your sheep. You have selected elders and deacons to um, oversee, to take care of the needs, to feed the flock, to administrate all these different tasks to pray for. May this challenge today be one that is um, heeded by those in leadership, but in addition, heeded by the entire uh, flock so that we all would be harmonious and unified and serving you and seeing your work done here. We thank you and praise your name and pray uh, eagerly awaiting and asking you to send your son to come back. May it be today. 
we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so if I could have uh, the men who are elders, elder advisors, and deacons come forward, we're going to recognize them. Folks in our church, these men, if you'll go ahead and come, come forward, these men have... Busy lives, except for Russ and Jim. Okay, uh, oh, wait a minute. Uh, shouldn't have said that. Hey, when you're retired. Uh, they still have busy lives. Every retiree says, man, I, I don't know how I got anything done when I had to work. Uh, but uh, these men, you know, plenty of things to do, okay? Vocations, avocations, there are a lot of things they can do. And they have agreed to serve you. Okay? They, they love you. They want to help you. They want to feed Uh, take care of, oversight, all the different things that that we need in a church. These men are here to do that. Pray for them. Encourage them. Don't bite them. Sheep typically don't bite. Don't bite them. Okay? Um, Love them. And uh, let's, let's now pray for them, and then we'll be dismissed. Our Father, today we are grateful that uh, you have chosen to work through frail, weak, um, even sinful human beings uh, to bring about the glories of your kingdom, to grow the church, to uh, change lives, to mentor, to disciple, to, um, to take care of physical needs of. Lord, you, you've brought together such a powerful, wonderful uh, group of people in this church, a, a group of people who Uh, through the power of the Spirit, are serving you faithfully here and now, eagerly awaiting uh, your return. But you've selected out from among this congregation these men to uh, take that extra mantle, that extra burden upon themselves in service. And so we pray for them, and me too, Lord, use Uh, us, encourage us, grow us. May these men here, first and foremost, walk daily with you. May they be men, may we be men who are godly. And we pray that you'll help us when we're dealing with situations that are sometimes really difficult to decide which way to go. Give us the kind of wisdom that we need. Strengthen the the already good bond of unity that exists in our church and use those of us that you've selected for leadership through our church and through the vote uh, to, to enhance your work. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Um, you're dismissed. I just want to remind uh, the Fellowship of the Book folks that we'll be meeting after Sunday school in the lower level uh, for uh, discussion of Paul Tripp's book, Suffering. Thank you. Well done. That was good music, man. You're hired. I left this thing on and it turned it off.